Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you and to worship you with the word. And we ask that you guide and lead as we, we look through the third chapter of Malachi and everybody else is on their way, that you bring them quickly and that you just bless this time when your Holy Spirit leads. And we just thank you in your son's precious name. Amen. All right, Malachi chapter 3, starting at verse 7. Even from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, Wherein shall we return? Will, you, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, Wherein have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. We are, you are cursed with a curse, and you are, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now where, wherewith, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open unto you the he windows of heaven and pour out a blessing, and there shall not be room remain enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, and he will not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before you the time in the field, says the Lord of hosts. All and all nations shall call you blessed, for you shall be delightsome, you shall be a delightsome land, says the Lord of hosts. So we're going to stop there and just start looking at these verses. It, God says that your father, from the days of your fathers, were gone astray from mine ordinances and have not kept them. And this we see as we go through from the time they were brought out of Egypt. They kept disobeying God. We saw that through the period of the judges where every couple decades they started doing what was right in their own eyes and and rejecting God and being sent into captivity and then they would repent and we saw this through the kings where most of the kings were evil and not following God and God finally sent them into captivity and God is here saying your 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 whole nation has just been evil <laughs> overall and when he says that he doesn't mean every single person and neither do we I mean even in America we're starting to get more and more evil that does not mean that every single person in the nation is, but the majority of our nation is turning away from God and becoming evil, doing what's right in their own eyes, calling, calling good evil and evil being called good. And we're starting to see just what he's saying the nation of Israel did. And it says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. And this is God's statement. If we turn to him, he comes to us. And actually, he comes and meets us more than halfway. We think about the prodigal, the parable of the prodigal son. The, the son decided, and I love the way it says, he came to his senses and realized, uh, I'm here ready to eat the pig slop, and my dad's servants eat better, better than this. I'm just going to go and become a servant. And, and the father saw him a long ways off and ran to him and met him as he was coming down the road and didn't even let him finish his sentence about, you know, hey, I just want to be your servant. And this is what God says. If you come to me, I will return to you. And says the Lord. And then they go, wherein shall we return? <laughs> you know, and this is, this is Malachi's argument. Every time he says something of God, he pictures the people questioning him. Well, how have we, how have we not followed you? And you know, this is really what's true. Even if we turn away from God and go the wrong way, how many times do we look at, look at God and go, God... Uh, how have I slipped away from you until we come back to him and realize how far we really have slipped away? We, we fall away in little increments. 
And we talk about this, uh, I've heard other pastors, and we've mentioned this before, if you go swimming in the ocean and the waves and everything, and you, if you're not paying attention to where you are on, in relationship to the beach, the next thing you know, you're a quarter mile, half mile down the beach, and don't even realize that you've drifted that far as you're playing in the, in the waves and you're body surfing or just floating or whatever it is, and you kind of look up and go, uh, where's my towels and my stuff? And it's you know, way down on the beach. And that's how easy, even in life, it is to drift away from God. The current just pushes us away from him, and we, we're not following him. And how easy it is to get away from God. We stop reading our Bible every day. We stop listening to the Christian radio and the pastors we listen to. We stop going to church. We stop fellowshipping with other Christians. And slowly, we just incrementally drift away because the world chips away at our beliefs and our thoughts. And all of a sudden we realize, uh, well, I haven't prayed for, for weeks or months. I haven't read my Bible for that period of time. I, wow, I've had lots of reasons not to go to church. And how easy is it to have a reason not to go to church if you're not purposing to do so? Very, very easy. You know, I, I worked late last night. I didn't get home until midnight. I didn't get to sleep until 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. And boy, 9 o'clock is coming too early and I just don't feel like getting up. I'm just going to sleep in. How, how many times do we wake up and we have just that little headache or the stiff muscles that say, well, maybe I'll just stay home and relax today. You know, and I bring this up to us. What does it take to keep us from going to church and meeting with God's people? And this is an important question for us to ask ourselves because this is in, the key is to be with God's people. The key is to be in his word, to worship, to listen to teachers. But we also need each other, and we, we gave that little blurb in the bulletin last week. What's the importance of a church? The importance of the church is that we get edified and we get to edify. We get to build each other up, encourage one another. And this is where the benefits come from of the church. And it says, God is saying, return to me. How easy it is to, to walk away from God, especially in our day when everything in the world is trying to tell us that what God says is right is wrong. If you watch TV, you're going to be bombarded with all this garbage for the world. If you watch any movies that are anytime relatively new, you're going to be bombarded with a negative image. Even the older movies had a negative image in a lot of them. And the older TV shows had a lot of negative that just wasn't quite as blatant and open with us. But God is saying, return to me. I know you've drifted away, maybe on purpose, maybe you've just drifted, but return. And the people say, Where, you know, what do we have to return for? We never left you. And they're a mile down the beach, uh, not realizing where they're at. Then it goes in verse 8, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, Wherein have we robbed you? In tithes and offering. And I don't teach a lot on tithes and offerings, but, you know, this is the verse we're talking about at the moment. And God says, you've robbed me of my tithes and my offering. Now, a lot of Christians will tell me, well, nowhere in the New Testament does it say that we have to give tithes. And you know what? They are absolutely right. However, Paul, uh, Paul tells us that we are to be hilarious givers. And if we take Jesus' attitude, Jesus always intensified the law. All right. He says, if you look after a woman in lust, you've committed adultery. If you're angry with a brother, you've committed murder. 
So the question is, when people say, well, the New Testament doesn't demand tithes, I'm going, okay, fine, so how much more than the tithe are you giving because you're, of your love for God? If you don't want to give the tithe, how much more are you giving? Because Jesus always increased the, 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 the rules out there. And one thing, and people who have, that I've talked to, if they start tithing, God blesses. He always does. And the difference between a tithe and an offering, a tithe is the 10%, and that is what God requires in the Old Testament. I think that's the starting point for any giving to God. Even though the New Testament doesn't say tithe, I think it's still the starting point in our gifts for God. And that's the minimum. If we tithe, then we're giving him the minimum of what he says, offerings or anything above the tithe. And for any, each individual that's between them and God, how much they're going to give. Does God need our money? Absolutely not. We talked just yesterday that God owns everything. He, he is not in need of our money. But he promises a blessing to those of us who tithe. And that's why it's important. Am I going to sit there and check off everybody? You know, is this person tithing? Is this, you know what? I don't even know who gives money in the envelopes or checks in the church. That's, that's the treasurer's job to keep track of. I don't want to know. I don't care to know. I know in our church we have pretty good givers because we are bringing in over $2,000 with a very small number of people that we have. So we've got people that are giving money and I don't know who they are and don't want to know because it's none of my business as a pastor to know. Everybody's gifts are between them and God. I know that what I have done is I keep adding money to my offerings each, each year and, and giving God more of my income each year. And by percentage. That doesn't necessarily mean I give more each year, but it gives the percentage goes up for whatever I have. And I've watched God bless. And that's my personal testimony on that. God blesses the giving. And I know that I've talked to several others in our church who have told me how they've started giving and God has blessed their giving. And I know if over the years, that is what I've heard over and over. Challenge somebody to give and God blesses. And he says right here, this is the only place where God says, try me, is in, in giving, of the, giving of the money. And he says, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. God will get his money. And this is one thing I tell people. If you don't want to tithe, God will find a way to take the tithe from you. You will pay more for groceries than you probably would have if you had tithed. You're, you're not going to get as good a gas mileage. A tire is going to blow out. The, the heater in your house may blow out. You know, God will get his money one way, get the money from you one way or the other. But you just won't get the blessing if he has to pry it out of your hands. And so, and here he says, you have cursed even this whole nation. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. When he said, bring them into the temple. And the temple in their day was the place where the people would go when they needed food, when they needed help. They would come to the temple and say, you know, we have need. And the Levites and the priests would hand out much the way we have our food bank and many churches have food banks and stuff. And people were to bring their stuff in. And you've got to remember in that day, it wasn't always money that they brought in. I mean, they were farmers, so they either had to sell the crop or sometimes they would just bring in one-tenth of their, their herd and say, here, here's some, here's some sheep, here's some cattle. And the Levites had facilities to take care of them. They would bring their grain in and give a tenth of it. And their offerings were, were the same thing, and they brought it in so that there would be meat in my house. 
And then he says, and prove me. And this is to test, to try, to assay. Okay, God says, try me out. See if I won't be honest in this. You give me and I will give you. Now, does that mean he's going to give us great wealth for giving him? No. But one of the things I've noticed over the years is my cars tend to have good gas mileage. I'll go into a store to buy something and there will be a sell on just what I needed to buy that day. The, everything about it seems to go, give you, it just goes further. And this is important for us as we look at this. And then he says in the second half of verse 10, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing and there shall be not enough room to contain it. And God does bless. God has done great blessings. I've, I've never really felt in need. Do I have everything that I possibly could want? No. I, I, I used to want a lot of stuff. And I was a, God has provided what we need. I've always had a house over, a roof over my head. There's been food on the table. My kids have not been totally deprived of, of gifts. And we've had the vehicles and stuff. And it says that all of that is going to be out there. In verse 11, it says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. All right, nor destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall the vine cast her fruit before, before the time in the field, says the Lord of hosts. When we give to him, he rebukes the devourer. And that's what I'm saying. When we don't give to God, he's going to make sure he gets his part and then some usually, the devourer of our, of our possessions. And I, and I hear people who don't give to God and oftentimes they'll, go, they'll say statements like, well, this bad thing happened. What more can happen? And the next week they have other problems. You know, they, they get a couple dollars in the bank and the tire blows out. They get another couple dollars in the bank and the transmission goes out. They get another couple of dollars and they go to the hospital emergency room and cost money. And that's the devourer that God says he rebukes when the money, when we're not giving to him. And this is important for us to understand. God is going to get his. And he says, if you honor him, the devourer is killed back. And this has been my experience. Does that mean bad things don't happen to us and cost us money? No, but when it does, God provides for those, those needs. And, you know, I, I look at it when I first started working at the prison and started putting money away in the bank. And the next thing I knew, I had to buy a jacket because they wanted us to wear jackets and be dressed up as in, the, in the department. Well, I looked in the bank and going, okay, God, thank you. You allowed me to have $200 in the bank. I guess I'm going to Vegas to spend spend money on a jacket and then I found one that was on sale for less than a hundred dollars so it didn't cost me all the all the all the money that I had in the bank and I'm going thank you I had a I had enough to buy one if I had to but God you gave me a great blessing and God does this over and over and over again when we honor him and this is very important are we putting God first in all that we do many of us don't many of us don't all the time but if you notice that when you are putting him first, how smooth things seem to go. Even when things are going wrong, you just go, God, uh, you're still first, and he just smooths out the, the problems. And this is very important. We talked about this last night as well. I mean, it's amazing how these kind of roll together, but it is what it is. We serve God, and he smooths out the road for us. We lift him up, we put our attention on him, and we put our trust in him and he solves our problems for us without us having to panic and worry and, and fret about it. And I love it when he tells us in Peter, cast all your cares on him for he cares for you. 
If we can just learn to cast all our cares on him, be yoked up with him and let him carry the burdens, life becomes easy. And I hope everybody has had those times when they put him first and he's carrying the burdens. And, you know, it's like you just kind of breeze through life. And then you look back over your life and you go, where'd all that wreckage come from? I didn't realize I was going through that much, that many trials or people bring it to your attention. How'd you get through all of that? All, through all of what? Because your eyes were on God and you were walking with him and he was, he was being your defender. And you kind of look back and you go, oh, yeah, a lot has happened over the last month, week, however long it's been that you were doing this. And then we go through these other times when barely anything's going on and we're trying to do it all on our, on our own. And every, the little puff of breeze knocks us over and we go, how did that happen? Well, my eyes weren't on the right place. My eyes weren't focused on God. And I'm looking at all the problems and the troubles and I fret about them. And this is a step that we learn as we grow in Christ. We get better at these things as we go along. And hopefully, as you grow in Christ, you start walking more and more with your eyes focused on him and less and less focused on the world, more and more just at peace and not worried about everything. It amazes me when I watch people who worry about everything. I'm going, just cast it to God. And I know it's not easy, especially for some people who just seem to have a, a precondition to worry. And I know there's lots of people out there just preconditioned to worry. And they're always going, what about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? Going, relax. <laughs> and the studies will tell us that most of what we worry about doesn't come to true anyway. And everybody who worries knows that. You know, they realize that that's what happens, but they still have this precondition to worry, and they just need to learn to put it on God. And I'm not saying it's easy. I've just had a lot of practice at it and tend to put it on God and walk in his, walk in his steps and say, okay, where are we going to next, God? This is, sometimes it's an adventure to walk with God and just see where he's going to run us through and the trials he might put us through. But if we're looking at him and letting him be our defense, we're going to be better off in the long run. And they say that in this case, he's also talking about how he's going to protect their crops and everything, but there was an agri agriculturally based place at that time, so crops were their money. And I love this in verse 12, And all the nations shall call you blessed, for you shall be a delightsome land, says the Lord of hosts. And this one is so true because we look at Israel today, and they're back in their country, and they had all this swamp land and desert land, and we look at what God has blessed them with, and they're not even honoring God as much as they should because they're not, for the most part, recognizing him, and yet because of the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their land is being blessed, and they now are the breadbasket for all of Europe. Little tiny country, practically no land in it, and they're feeding Europe from their country. That when they bought the land and, and, and settled in there was nothing but swampland and desert. But God is saying, they're my people. I'm going to bless them. We look at America. When America came, founded, was founded within, with Christianity at its core, the blessings that we had and how we were the, the place that fed much of the world and supplied much of the world and, and protected much of the world. Why? Because we were focused on God. And the more we're drifting away from God, the more we're seeing judgments on our land and destruction of our of our food sources and our, and our minerals and our depletion as a powerful nation because we are not honoring God the way we should. 
and this is kind of scary, unless this country repents and turns back to God, it won't be long before this country ceases to exist as a power because that is what happens when people turn their back on God. And we see this over and over again. Every time Israel turned away from God, he sent in judgment. Many times in the form of captivity or at least oppression from outside nations. And eventually they got so evil that he put them into full-fledged captivity and took them away from their land. And this is something that we need to be praying for our country as Christians, praying and lifting up our country, saying, God, we need repentance. We need to repent, and it has to start with his people because we look at Daniel's prayer. If you remember in Daniel 9, when Daniel prayed to God, he really listed and said, God, we have been disobedient. God, we have not honored you. God, we have, you know. And you look at Daniel, and he was so pure that the, the other politicians trying to find out bad things about him couldn't find anything to accuse him of. And yet when he's praying to God, God, it's time for us to go back he includes himself as a very central character of this disobedient lifestyle. And this is why we've got to start out in the church to repent as individuals in the churches and say, God, we have sinned. And to be honest with you, the churches have got a great culpability in the decline of our, of our nation because for many, many decades, if not a century, the church pulled back from everything. There was a time when the churches basically told Christians, don't, engo, don't, engo, don't get involved with politics and don't worry about all this stuff because politics is somehow dirty and outside of, outside of the religious side. And yet when it started, if you weren't a Christian, you didn't, couldn't even run for office because of the rules that the state's constitutions had that you had to take an oath of office swearing your allegiance to God as well as to the constitution of that state. Now, those were all knocked down in the 1800s when the Supreme Court said that they were in con conflict with the Constitution of the United States. But for many years, during the times of our founding fathers, they had no problems with these things going on. And they're the ones that wrote the state constitutions that put them there. So we see this problem in the church is drawn away from God through the 1800s to the early 1900s, and we are suffering from that drawing away. So the church is culpable for much of what's happening in this country. Now, are we the reason? No, we're not the absolute reason. The absolute reason is that man is sinful and left to themselves will do sinful things, and that's why our country is where it is today. And because the church pulled out and didn't put in our own candidates, didn't support godly candidates, we are receiving what we deserve. Now, we as a nation, have, as Christians, need to come back to God, repent, have, a re, have revival, start getting actively involved and in putting candidates out there that might turn this country back. And this country has had several uh, revivals in its time. The first one in the very early days before it was a nation, we had a great revival with Whitfield as the, as the main leader on it. And he would speak and crowds would come together and, and people were getting saved. Then in the late 17, 18, and early 1800s, we had the second great awakening in the United States, starting from prayer in New England and sweeping across the, across the nation with salvation. And it was so powerful that people, so many people would get saved in, a, saved in a town that the bars and saloons and the brothels would all close down, not because 
the people made laws against it, but because the owners would get saved and close them down or there just wouldn't be enough business to keep them running and they would shut down. Then in the, in the mid-1900s in, in our country, we had the Jesus movement, which had a great sweeping influence of Jesus. Not quite as great as the first two, but a big movement that changed people's lives. Is it possible that we can have another revival? Yes, it's possible. I'm not sure, though, because I think we're close to the end times, and I'm not sure that there will be, but I would love to see it. I would love to see it. I'm going to pray for a revival, but I'm not absolutely sure that it can happen because of how close we are to the end times, but I'd love to see it happen. I'd love to see our country become strong again righteously. But usually after revival, you've got a couple decades where things stay up, at least in the scriptures. So... This is why I say sometimes when I think about it, I'm not sure. We may be just too close to the end for a revival to totally sweep, but you know God can move in different towns, different states. He can still have local revivals, and we want to see that happen. We want to see it happen here in Chloride, Mojave County, Arizona, and the rest of our country. We'd love to see revival, and we're going we're gonna to pray for revival. We're going to do our part. We're going to share the gospel of Christ and try to bring revival because that's our job. We're told to go, share the good news, make disciples. And this is the important thing that we have to do as we go forward on, on this thing. And it says the nations will call you blessed. And for a long time, America was called blessed and now it's not called blessed anymore. The strange thing now is we used to send more missionaries out of this country than any other place. We are now seeing more missionaries coming to America from foreign countries than any other country getting it. And that really says how far the other countries see our Christian faith having dwindled. And it is. It's terrible to see what's going on in this country. A place where there's a church on every corner almost, especially in the south or the east, uh, churches on almost every corner, and yet most of them aren't preaching the gospel of Christ. They're not doing anything to raise up Christ. And we see this. We see 32-some churches in Kingman. Kingman should be just blown out of the water with the gospel, and yet it's barely a trickle in those churches. And you say, how? how? Because we're not humbling ourselves and coming before God and, and making revival the forefront. This is why I keep talking so much when we preach and teach is that the gospel message is simple. We are sinners. We deserve hell and we need Jesus. We can give the gospel to somebody in, in, in a minute with no problem when we're talking to them. And all we have to do is talk, tell them. This is why I love the Romans road you know, that says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but the gift of God is eternal life. John, uh, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And Romans 5.10 says, but God commended his love to yet us, toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He paid the price that we deserve to pay. And then we come to, in Romans 10, if we confess with our mouth and believe with our heart, you shall be saved. And that belief is not just, I believe that Jesus died and rose again. It is, I put my entire trust in that belief. And this is, this is something where we, we see things where people say, well, I believe this is true. Well, are you willing to step forward in it?
We talked about tithing. I believe that if you tithe, you get blessed. Well, are you tithing? Well, no, I don't quite believe that strongly. Well, then you don't believe. Uh, there's a story of uh, this tightrope walker going across uh, the Niagara Falls, and he walks across, and, and he comes back, and he takes a wheelbarrow across, and comes back, and he goes, okay, how many of you believe that I could walk across with somebody in the wheelbarrow? And everybody raises their hand. Okay, who's ready to get into the wheelbarrow? Nobody wanted to get in the wheelbarrow. Okay, and this is the difference between do we believe or do we really believe? Am I ready to put my whole trust in God? And sometimes that can be very scary. But he's saying, I have a plan. Are you ready to step into that plan? And so many times we say no. So many times we say, no, nope, God, I'm just don't, I don't know if I can trust you that much. And yet we'll tell everybody we trust him, that we trust him with our whole heart. You know, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. And we'll go, yeah, God, I trust you with all my heart. And God says, here's what I want you to do. Oh, no, God, that doesn't make any sense. I'm not going to do that. And we've got to be careful. How much do we truly believe and trust him? When he says to do something, are we ready to jump at doing what he says? Are we ready or do we drag our feet and, you know, oh, God, I can't talk to that person. You know, God, you really want me to talk to that person about the gospel? Uh, I don't think so. All right, so we're going to let that person go to hell because we're not going to be obedient to God. Now, we know that God will put another person in their life. They will, they will at least have one opportunity to hear the gospel and many more. So if we reject and don't go forward, somebody else will do it, but we've lost a great blessing by not doing it. And the one thing I want to hear from God when I reach heaven is, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And you know what? Even having said that, I know that I have missed so many opportunities that I don't deserve it, but it's going to be grace if I hear that from God because I have tried to serve him in other areas. And it will be grace for anybody to hear it because we all have places where we just have not been obedient. And maybe willfully, maybe by not really realizing, maybe because we haven't been into classes and learned, learned the things we should have learned. And God will say, well, if you'd have been in church on, on this day, you would have heard this message and known how to do this. Uh, and so we want to be very careful about all of these things that we look at. Be ready to stand forward and go forward because God is asking us to do things. And sometimes what he asks us to do seems pretty strange. God, why would you ask me to do whatever it might be? And we all can think back to times when we feel that God has told us to do something that made no sense. And we also know whether we did or didn't do it. And I can tell you that even if you did something that didn't make sense, God is blessed. That's been, my, that's been what I have seen over and over. The times that I have trusted in my own understanding have been the times when it has not been a good thing. And right now I'm going through one of those decisions that, okay, do I follow one thing or do I follow another? And you know the hardest ones to decide are the one where there's no real right or wrong, there's no sin involved in any of their decision. And you have to go, God, I need direction. Please help me figure out which one's right because that's not a time to go write a pro-con list and try to figure out, okay, this one has more cons. Well, that's trusting in my own understanding, not necessarily God's. Now, it may be the right answer, but we can't use that without really sitting down with God. And sometimes it's just a matter of taking a step of faith and doing something. 
and saying, God, I'm, I just don't know. You haven't really shown me. I'm going to step out in faith and see what happens. And this is something that's very important for us. Are we going to be blessed by God? That may mean going out, taking a step of faith. And going back to the Israelis, going back to Israel. They moved into swampland and desert. <laughs> you know, there was nothing in that move that would have made any sense other than God putting it in their heart that they needed to return to their land. And we see the blessing that God has put on them for that. Verse 13, your words have been stout against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, wherein have we spoken against you? And verse 14, you have said it is vain to serve the Lord. And what profit is that that we have kept his ordinances and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? So here he's saying, you, you guys speak evil against me is what he's saying. And they're going, how? How have we done that? <laughs> have we ever been in a place where we thought it was vain to serve the Lord? You know, God, I just don't know about what you're asking me to do. God, you're asking me to go out on this street and evangelize people? That doesn't make any sense at all. God, you're asking me to give up my job and go, go become a missionary in some foreign country and not have any income anymore? We see over the history of time many people that were called into missions fields that just gave up everything they had and moved to the mission field. Not like it is today where if you want to go on the mission field, you go in front of a mission board and they go, well, how many churches are supporting you and, or, or will support you, but you've got to go through these classes and go where we tell you to go. And, but in those older days, it was, God, you've told me to go. Paul was told, to, felt by God that he had to go and he took Barnabas with him on the first journey. They did not have a bunch of churches paying them a salary for everywhere they went. They had to go and trust God to be with them in everything they do and everything they did. Eventually, they started having some churches supplying them needs and giving them stuff, but that was not how they started out. And this is where we look. Are we willing to do anything that God asks us to do? Or are we going to say, God, it's vain to serve you. You don't, you don't, you don't support your own people, God. And, you know, God, it's just, you know, I'm giving up all these things for you. Uh, and that's kind of an interesting thought when people say, I've given something up for you. It is very important that we take and we walk in these things with God. Because it is not vain to serve God. You know, if you're looking at, what have I given up? Well, what has most people given up? They've given up their drugs, their alcohol, their smoking, their, their adultery and fornication. I mean, you've given up a whole bunch of sins. Is that really anything compared to what you've gotten from God? And if you are thinking that, then I'm going to have to say, do you have a right relationship with God? Because I have gotten such peace with God and such confidence with God and such provision from God. I, don't, I have not felt lost, and I've said this over and over. If there is no heaven, and I know that there is, but even if there wasn't, I have not been deprived in any way, shape, or form following God. The, for the, those who think they have, they've got the wrong relationship with God if they have a relationship with God. Because we know just the peace of walking through this life with God is so wonderful. And because he's given me peace here, I know that there's a heaven. I have a relationship with the God of the universe here, and I know that there will be a relationship into the future because I trust his word. He has never been wrong with his word and he's given me 
all the blessings. Does that mean my life has been perfect with no problems? Absolutely not. I've had lots of problems. But he is always there to bear the weight of the problems. 1 Corinthians 10.13, There hath no temptation overtaken you, but such it is common to man. But God is faithful, who will provide a way of escape. And that escape is in him. We run into him and we escape. And because the problem is bad enough to take us to our breaking point. Okay, if I want to live in the flesh, I will fail the test. Because the test is designed to break my flesh. And if I don't turn to him and run into him, I will fall. But the greatest news is on that very first part, there is no temptation that is not common to man. And we keep bringing this up. Everything that happens has happened and will happen in the future. And we are not alone when God sends a test our way. It has happened to others. Happening probably to many people that we know if we would just open our mouth and share with them the, the problems that we're having and the issues that we're having. And they're going, okay, yeah, I, I understand. I've been there or I am there. I can, you know, we can pray for each other. And we'd be able to lift each other up. Because Satan comes along and says, you know, you're the only person that thinks that way. You're the only person that's ever had these thoughts. You're the only person that in the middle of a message has been thinking about bad thoughts and, you're, you know, and being tempted. You know, every single person has gone through that at some point in their life where they're tested and tempted right in the middle of a message. Right in the middle of a, a move of God, you'll be tested and tried to see if you're going to continue to go forward. And you know what is really hard? When you get to the end of a victorious time with God, there's a great chance for depression and problems to hit you then because you feel like you're on top of the hill and you let your guard down. Or you feel like you didn't do enough. And it wasn't, even though a lot of things happened, not enough happened. If you read the, the biography of D.L. Moody, after almost every one of his crusades with hundreds and thousands of people coming forward, he would be depressed that not more people came forward at the, at the crusades that he would do and feel it was his fault. So he'd go into depression for weeks after a great move of God because he succumbed to Satan's attack. Or you get so complacent because God has moved so greatly in your life that all of a sudden you find yourself in the middle of a mud pit wondering how you got there. You took off your armor, you stopped thinking about God, and you got knocked for a loop. And you're going, how did I end up here? Well, you let your guard down. You weren't watching God. You were basically saying, what profit is there to serve God? It's all in vain. And you know, our profit for God is not earthly. Our profit is in heaven. And I've all told you, one of my favorite songs is Thank You. And it's the man comes up and he says, you know, dreamed I went to heaven. You were there with me. And he's actually talking about his pastor. And he talks about all these people that come up to him and say, Thank you for the little things you've done. We're, we have more blessings in heaven than we're ever going to be understand. You know, most people look at a pastor or a teacher or some big name. And they go, look at, look at all the things they're doing that's good. And you know what? I look back and who's the prayer warriors praying for, the, for that person, as, you know, that leader as they're teaching? Who are the ones that just help do the bulletins or seat the people or park the cars or... You know, clean up. You know, they've got great blessings. You know, being just teaching Sunday school, which sometimes people think isn't that big a deal, but you know, we're laying groundwork for, for kids and adults when we teach Sunday school. We're teaching them the truth of God. We're, we're teaching them things that may change their life. 
We're teaching them things that when sometime in the future God touches them and says, yes, I remember when my teacher way back when I was in first grade gave me the gospel. I didn't really think much of it, but you know, this is the third time I've heard it and I remember they started and all of a sudden they get saved. Or maybe they got saved during that time and we didn't know it. You know, we don't know all the little things we're doing. As we walk with God in our daily life, people look at us. And I've shared with you though, the time that I had a gout attack for over six months and I was on crutches. And I don't share this to say, look at me, but I just kept going, I'm going, God, I don't understand why you're putting all this pain on me. You know, this is very painful. I don't know why we're doing this. And after six months, the attack finally went away. And about a year later, somebody came up to me and said, watching you be in pain last year inspired me to work through and serve God through my pain. Okay. I wasn't trying to be super Christian going to church. It was just God said, be in church. I went to church and I just went to church. And if I was in pain, I went to church anyway. I went and did all the jobs that I normally did. And God used it to inspire at least one person, if not, who knows how many more. But I use this to point out to us, people are watching us. How well do you serve God? How well do you represent God? Does your language represent Christ? Does your love for others represent Christ? Does your fidelity at coming into services and Bible studies lift up Christ? Do, and you, when you're talking to people, do you just listen to all their gossip and garbage or do you bring God into the middle of it? People look at that. They may make fun of you for it. They may, they may look at you as if you're crazy, but that makes an impression in their mind. Many times when I was working in the restaurants, after a very busy, hectic time, I would have people come up, and especially employees, going, how do you stay so calm during all of this chaos? And it was a great opportunity to tell them all about God because that's important. Do our neighbors know that we are Christians because they see us going to church, we talk about God, or do they see the police at our house every other week you know, for, for domestic disturbances or you know, uh, fights going on all the time and go, well, they're just like us. You know, they say they go to Christian, you know, go to church and they're supposed to be Christians, but I don't see any difference. You know, and that's a very big thing. If people look at us and say, well, they're no different from me. We've got a problem because our relationship is not leading into a, a relationship lifting God up. Because Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And that wasn't just the cross he was referring to, even though that was the primary that he's lifted up and drawing, but is he lifted up in life? Is he lifted up in the way we live our life and do people see him and are drawn to him? They may not know what they're being drawn to at first, but they're gonna be drawn. There's something different about your life. Don't quite know what it is. It might be this Christian thing because you go to church and stuff, but I just don't know what's different about you. This is what will draw our family in the long run when they see the difference overall in our life. And family's hard to reach because they see our failures. They see when we, when we mess up. They see when we're not living like Christ. But if we're living like Christ more than we're not living like Christ, our family will start looking and saying, there is something different about you. You have changed. You don't have the same temper you used to. You don't, your language is not as, as foul as it used to be. You're not going out drinking and drugging and whatever else it was that you were doing. And they're looking at you and saying, well, may not be perfect, but you have changed and, 
you know, maybe it is this Christian thing that you keep talking about. And, you know, and we want to be able to do that. And it says here, you know, that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts. And that was what they were saying was no prophet. You know, I don't want to walk mournfully before the Lord. Now, when I sin, I want to confess and repent. But, you know, people have taken this verse in churches, and I've, got, I've been to visiting churches where it looks like if people were to smile, they might break their face. <laughs> and it's like, wow, you guys don't have much joy in your salvation. I would rather see people joyful and happy with God because there is joy. There is happiness. There is contentment. It doesn't mean we're going to be happy all the time, but there should be joyfulness in us. And joyfulness is that contentment deep down. I can be sad and still have some joy in my heart because I am saved. Okay. Now, if I'm perpetually sad or perpetually mournful, I've got a problem. But my joy should stand out. My joy in my circumstances. Why can I be joyful? The very simple thing is God is in control. The more I believe and understand that God is in control, the more I can stay joyful in all my circumstances. If I am worried about what is coming my way and, and not understanding that God is in control, then I'm going to be, I've got to worry about it. I've got to try to fix it. And as I've said, you know, we're never going to hear God say, whoops, I didn't know that was going to happen, or how did that happen? That's never going to come out of God's mouth. He's going to go, are you ready for the test? Here it comes. <laughs> are you ready? You know, and the real test comes, are we ready? Are we ready to stay focused on God in the middle of the test? Are we ready to say, God, everything works together for good. You, have, you know what's going on. The more we believe in the sovereignty of Christ and that all things work together for good, the more we can walk through the test without rebellion and problems. Because when the test hits, we go, okay, God. And we may go, God, I don't understand this. And I've said that many times. God, I don't understand how you're going to make this be good. But you have promised that it's for good. And, it's not, and it didn't come without you knowing about it. So help me get through it. And this has been my answer over the last few years. God, I don't understand it. But you know what's, go you know what's going on. And it's not wrong to say, God, I don't understand it. Because we don't understand it when we're in the middle of the test. All we can do is say, God, you are sovereign and you are in control and it is for good. And not always for my good. Okay, and we brought that out many times. Romans 8.28 does not say it's for my good, but it is for good. And that's when I talk about my example with the gout. There was nothing good about having a gout attack on crutches for six months other than what it did for the other person's faith. There was nothing good for me. And God sometimes will do that with us and put us through a trial that we can lean on him that hurts, is painful, but it's for others to look at and saying, wow, look how faithful they're staying in the middle of all this chaos. Now when we fall and fall flat on our face, people, people will then look at God, lift us up as we repent and turn to God and say, wow, look at the God they follow that <laughs> accepts their repentance and lifts them back up. So they're still good even when we fall. But it does have a negative effect on them because they're going to go, well, they did fall, so, but they did get repentant, so maybe, there, maybe there's something still there. That, but that puts a little bit of a question in their mind when we fall. But, God, but they also look at how we repent and we come back. 
and God gets to say, see, I still, I still love them. I'll still love you, even if you can't. And they also need to see Christians fall once in a while so that they know that, there's not, that they can be a Christian. We look at David, and David fell horribly with the adultery and the murder and all of the stuff that he went through. We don't want to look and say, well, God can use him, but, you know, because of, in, in spite of his sin, but he loved God so much that when he repented, God says, here you go. There was consequences in his life, and because he was king, there were consequences in the nation because of his sin. And there's consequences when we fail, but God still will lift us up into in, repentance. Verse 15 says, and, we, and now we call the proud happy, yea, they that work wickedness are set up, yea, that, that tempt God are even delivered. So here he's saying, this sounds so much like our nation. You know, those who are proud are called happy. You know, and we look at that. How many times have we looked at people who seem to have everything except for God, and we look at them and go, wow, they should... You know, I wish I had everything they did. Well, you probably don't wish you had everything they did because you know, they're probably not happy. And this is one thing I have seen. I've gotten to know a couple of rich people in my life that aren't saved. None of them ever seem to be happy. There's never enough in their life. They never have enough. They, they're, they're trying to keep up with the other people and spending as, as much or more than they're making. We read about them all the time and hear about them in the news, how these celebrities and and football stars and everything, you know, just aren't happy. They're, they're trying to find happiness. They get into drugs. They get into alcohol. They think that stuff is going to help, you know, get them. They think the relationship's going to get them. And eventually, they do something like commit suicide or attempt to commit suicide because of how miserable their life is without God. And they're finding out, and we're looking at it and saying, God, give me a chance. I'd just love to have that. You know, well, maybe we would, maybe we wouldn't. You know, if we can't honor God with the little that we have, we're not going to honor him with a lot. And I've heard people go, well, if I just won the lottery, I'd, be, I'd, I'd start tithing and go, and I'll tell them, no, you wouldn't. If you're not tithing now, you're not going to tithe if you've got a lot of money. Matter of fact, you'd probably pull away from God even further because you're going to have all the toys to play with that would keep you from going to church. You know, because if we're not faithful in a little... We will not be faithful with a lot, and God probably isn't going to give us a lot to be unfaithful with. If we're faithful in the little, he'll give us more and say, are you going to be faithful? Are you going to still honor me? And that's where the test will come in. And we've seen it over and over in lifetime. Sometimes people who get a lot fall away from God. They, they follow God. They get all these blessings. They get all their little toys, and all of a sudden they don't come to church anymore. Why? Usually because they're playing with their toys. <laughs> You know, got to ride my quad, got to take my boat out, got to, you know, got to use the, the ski chalet, I've got to use the summer home, I've got I've to get out with my RV. You know, they've taken their blessings, they bought all the toys, and the toys take them away from God. You know, and this happens over and over and over again. And this is something we need to be careful about. And God said in Deuteronomy and Numbers, and Leviticus, when you go into the promised land and you get all the stuff that I'm giving you, all the homes that you didn't build, the, the wells you didn't dig, and the fields that you didn't plant, and the orchards that you didn't plant, beware that you forget God. And it's so easy sometimes when we start to get those blessings to forget God. 
And this is part of the reason why we need to be amongst ourselves in the body of Christ to be encouraged, built up. Oh, it's good to see you. I'm so happy to see you. Will everybody treat you the way you're supposed to be treated in the body of Christ? No, don't count on that. It's, there's always bad people that aren't part of the body. There's tears in the body that are going to give you a reason not to come if you allow it to happen. And we need to be careful with this. But we need to be in the body of Christ so we can be built up, edified, and that we can edify and build up others, that we can worship with others, that we can, can worship God through the teaching of the word amongst ourselves, that we can share what God has taught us amongst each other. The greatest hope I have for our church is that when we get together, especially before and after services, that people will start talking about, you know what God showed me in the word this week with each other? And be able to just lift it up. I went, we went to a church in Baltimore, and it would be pretty amazing. Three or four people would meet each other in the aisle of a grocery store, and they'd have a Bible study for 10 or 15 minutes because they were sharing what God had taught them. That was common in that church. You go to a birthday party for an adult or a kid, and there'd be a Bible study as part of the, as part of the party because that was how important they saw God being. I would love to see us get to that point that when we get together, there's... God is going to be brought up. Yeah, I want to just show you. We've been, I've been reading my Bible through on the schedule, and you know, this is what God showed me yesterday. And just take five, ten minutes to share what God has shown you. That is my ultimate hope for our church, is that we all get so excited about God's word that we're sharing what we learn. One of the things I do at the prison with the men is I'll ask them, what, is, what did God show you yesterday when I meet them? What has God taught you? And, and challenge them to be able to say, this is what God has done. This is what God is teaching. And I'd love to see that happening in our church, that people will share, this is what God has shown me. This is what God is teaching me. Do you realize that the power that would have would we get so excited about God that that's what we're talking about? The one thing that bothers me is when Christians come together and talk and they spend 15, 20, 30 minutes together and, and God is, and the scriptures is not brought up. And that bothers me when that happens, when I hear about that happen. Because it is, God should be the center of our life. Does that mean I'm going to talk about him 24-7? You know, every time I talk to people, it's got to be about God. No, but you know, is he important enough that he comes up in our subject somewhere? Yeah, this is important for us. Verse 16, Then they that feared the Lord spoke often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it, and the book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. I love this. God is going to record when we spend time talking about him. He records it. He records a book of remembrance, and he's going to reward for this just because you thought about him, <laughs> just because you were talking about him to one another. A blessing to God, his name being lifted up amongst his people. His name being lifted up to the people who don't believe in him. And I've shared with you, I used to love going to the restaurant and going in and going, you know what God did for me yesterday and telling, talking to them just as if they were a Christian and giving a nice witness of what God had done. Having them look at me and saying, well, that was nice. That was a very lucky thing to happen. Oh, no, it wasn't luck at all. God, God did it. Probably thought they, they, of course, thought I was crazy, but you know what? There was a seed planted. I worship a God who does things for me. I, I, I worship a God, and I follow a God who cares for me. 
I worship a God who does great things for me. I know you're thinking it's great consequences or a great lucky thing happening, but it was God. And I'm going to tell you who it was. It wasn't a God of luck. It wasn't a God of consequences. It was a God who cares for me that gave this to me. Do we do this with people? Do we share this with people? You know, hey, look what God's done. He gave me a safe trip back and forth to, to work. He gave me a safe trip to chloride this morning. Yeah. Anything could have happened. It was wet out there. You know, anything could have happened. In verse 17, and they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. And that day I will make them make up my jewels and I will spare them as a man spares his own son that serves him. And this word for jewels is a personal possession that belongs to somebody and no other. He's going to make us his jewels. This is precious. God cares for us in a way that says we are his. And he says he cares for us as a son who spare, a father who spares his son. How many times when you were raising your children did you keep your kids from doing something that they thought was no problem but you knew was not good? I've done that many times with my kids. No, you really aren't going to do that. Well, Dad, everybody, I don't care what everybody else is doing. I don't care. You don't see where this is going to lead, and it's not a godly thing to do. God takes us as his possession, and he loves us, and he cares for us, and says, you are my precious treasure. You are something I'm going to keep safe. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to put you in, in the jewelry box. I'm going to put you in the safe. I'm going to protect you. And... Here he's saying, you're mine. I'm going to make you a precious possession of mine and a peculiar treasure, which means a personal treasure. We are his personal treasure because we are clothed in his son. We are clothed in Jesus' righteousness, and he says, you are my personal possession that I am going to protect as we would anything that we considered precious. And we all know what that means. That we all have things that are precious to us. That if somebody tried to take or did take, we would be very hurt or angry that they took something away. And God says, you are my precious jewel. And you know what? Nobody's taking anything away from God that he thinks is precious. He puts it away and locks it away and protects it and wraps it up in his hand and says, no, nothing. Satan, you can't have my precious jewel. I might let you test them as he did Job, but you're not taking them away. You can only do so much. It says in verse 18, Then you shall return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serves God and him that doesn't serve him. Have you ever been in a place where you just are in a place where you know when a Christian is around? It's amazing to me, and I've shared this, there were times when I had to go to business meetings with other managers that I had no desire to be to because they were in the evening and that meant there was going to be mostly drinking. And I would go to God and go, God, I just need to spend some time with Christians. I don't need to spend time with all these guys whose only purpose is to get drunk. And within a few minutes, God would link me up with three or four Christians, and we'd spend our entire night together. You know, while everybody else was doing their drinking and dancing and partying, we would be together just talking about God and other things as well. But just having a good time fellowshipping because... Four or five of us had come together, and where three or more are gathered, there is, you know, or two or more are gathered, that's where Christ is. So we would have a church right there in the middle of all the craziness going on around us and just lifting up God and praising him. 
And God says, when we return, we will be able to discern righteous and unrighteous, those who are serving God from those that aren't. And Jesus in the, in the parable said that in the church, there's going to be wheat and tares. And tares look just like wheat until it's time to be harvested. They do not produce a head in the end, but they look like wheat up until that point. And so there are going to be people in this church, in any church, that look like Christians that aren't. And we can't necessarily know the difference without the discernment of the Spirit, and it's not our job to discern whether they are or not. Because God said, in that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, didn't I? And he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. And, you know, and last thing to say, and we said this over and over, there's two things that are going to surprise us when we get to heaven, and that's who is there and who is not there. Because there are going to be people in heaven that we're going to be absolutely sure were not saved because of the way they lived. But because it's a gift of grace, they're going to be in heaven. And then there's going to be other people that we're going to be absolutely sure because they were at church every single time the doors were open. They, they taught Sunday school. They, they were ushers. They were deacons. They were maybe even pastors. And we're going to be surprised that they're not there because they never knew Christ. They did lots of works, looked good, had their flesh disciplined, but never knew Christ. And this is where we're going to need to be aware of. We need to evaluate where am I with Christ? Am I in a relationship with the God of the universe or am I not? Because that's what it matters. Is he in my heart? Am I in a relationship with him? Do I truly believe in him? Am I one of his children? And if you are, you will know it. Even if you don't live the right lifestyle, you will know that you are or not. Now, if you're a bad testimony, then that's a shame on you. But, it's <laughs> but we need to be able to lift up and say, God, I need you to change me. And as I've said over and over again, we look back on our life and say, am I a better Christian? Am I walking closer to God today than I did a year ago, two years ago? If the answer is no, then I need to look at my relationship with God and say, God, either I don't know you or I need to draw closer to you. And if the answer is yes, God, I need to draw closer yet to you so that I can become even, even closer to you. But we need to be able to look and evaluate where am I spiritually? And not to be, not to say, you know, that works are important, but works are also are important because they really do show, am I being changed? Is my life being changed by the Spirit of God living in me? And if the Spirit of God is living in us, He will change who we are to be more like Him. I will be more loving. I will be more kind. I will keep more of the commandments not because I'm trying to, not because I've got a whip in a chair out of my flesh and trying to drive it back into a corner, but the Holy Spirit in me is changing who I am and crucifying my flesh and making me more spiritual, making me more like Him. And I start walking more like Him. And if that's not happening, then I've got to say, am I in a relationship with God and is He living inside me and changing who I am by, be, by living inside me? Very important for us. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to have to come before you. And Lord, we thank you for the challenge to live more like you, to allow you to come into our life and to change who we are. And we just ask that as we go out today that you help us to be more like you and minister to more people. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.